Fathers, we've just sung and reminded ourselves you are a faithful God. And day by day, we can just trust in you and not be afraid. Cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. Father, would you please refresh us now and encourage us and strengthen us in our Christian walk through the message time. And as we sit still and listen, may our, may our hearts be tender, our minds be clear. And then as we go from here, may our spirits be willing to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray with thanksgiving today. Amen. And thank you. you may be seated. Uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to Matthew chapter 22 and uh, get your sermon notes and your pencils handy if you like to use those. Sometimes when Janet is uh, making brownies or has a cake in the oven and she has something going on, she will say to me, now when the timer goes off, go in there and poke that with a toothpick and see if it's ready to take out. Do you do that? As you stick it in there, you know, and if the, I don't know, what is that, dough or the, the mix, the batter, sticks to the toothpick, then it's not quite done. If the toothpick comes out nice and clean, then it's ready and it's done and you can take it out and move on. I have to tell you that if I stick a toothpick in last week's message and pull it out, it's just not done. And uh, I'm not quite ready to move on. Um, I just feel like this passage... This teaching of our Lord Jesus that is an answer to a question that was designed to get him in big trouble, that we haven't quite explored it enough. It's a huge topic, actually, and even today, we're just going to bounce off of it. And it occurred to me this week as I was meditating on this passage and working on my sermon, that if we could get this second command, the second greatest commandment that our Lord is talking about, if we could get to where we live that out, it would change everything about our homes, our lives, our church. We're in Matthew chapter 22, and you'll recall that we are now just about 72 hours away from our Lord being nailed to a cross. This is the very end, the very last week of our Lord's public ministry. He's been under attack by the Pharisees. He has given a very strong, even caustic response to the Pharisees who are attacking him, want to kill him. They literally want to murder him. But it's not God's time yet, so they haven't been able to. And he has turned to them and he has come at them with three powerful parables that have been very confrontive. They, in turn, have recoiled and come back at him with three direct questions. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? In the resurrection, who will be her husband? And number three, what is the greatest command? And each of these questions, and we've already dealt with two, and we've dealt with all three actually, each of them designed from some angle to undermine our Lord's ministry, to publicly humiliate him, and to get him in big trouble, even to be able to prosecute him with the law and even give him the death penalty. This question... Okay, Jesus, if you're so smart, tell us, and these are the most educated in the law of Moses of the day. They had it memorized inside and out. They had spent their entire lives studying it. They were Pharisees. They were hypocrites. They were religious. And as we're going to see in our future studies in chapter 23, 
Though they look good on the outside, our Lord called them whited sepulchers, like a tomb that was painted and on the inside full of dead bones. No life. They're trying to get Jesus in trouble with this commandment question by getting him to contradict Moses. They esteem Moses above all else, and if they could get Jesus to contradict Moses, they could put him on trial for heresy and even put him on the cross or burn him at the stake for being a heretic. They could get rid of him. Matthew chapter 22, let's just review this. It's verse 34, this third question. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So they huddled up and then out of them, one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the law of Moses, this lawyer asks him, Jesus, a question to test him. This is Matthew chapter 22, now verse 36. The question is, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay, remember they had all kinds of laws that they had identified, 613 laws, and they had categorized them, and they loved to sit around and debate which of the commandments was a heavy law, which one was a light law, and of all of them, which was the greatest law. What was most important, and this was how they spent their time, and Jesus said to them, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. We talked about this last week. This is the great and first commandment. But he doesn't stop then. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I'm stuck on the second commandment, the one that is like unto the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Grab your notes, and what I would like to do is I would like to react to this by moving to Luke chapter 10 to a very familiar parable that our Lord told, and it is, in our way of speaking, called the parable of the Good Samaritan. You'll notice that if you study um, the Gospels, remember that Matthew, Mark, and Luke often share similar information, but Luke does not have this story in it, this questioning of what is the greatest commandment in the way that Matthew and Mark do. And this comes up in Luke chapter 10. It sets the stage for this story of the Good Samaritan. And he actually gives a similar answer. It is probably not the same occurrence. You're going to see some similar wording here as what we just read in Matthew 22 in Luke 10. And Jesus is going to tell a story to illustrate a point. We call that a parable. He's, he's illustrating a spiritual truth with, a, with just a common story. Our Lord does this because in verse 25 of chapter 10, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So there is a lawyer, an expert in the law, putting him to the test again. They always did that. And he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is Luke's gospel, chapter 10, verse 25. It's an excellent question. We've heard others ask Jesus that question. What a great opportunity to ask this great question. What a great opportunity to ask it in person to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, and this is what sounds like Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema, the hearing passage. Hear and do and obey the law. And the Lord our God is one God, and then obey him. And he adds Leviticus 19.18, a quote from Leviticus 19.18. You, you shall... 
and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I don't think this is the same occurrence as Matthew 22. No doubt this is a repeated teaching of our Lord. And no doubt the Gospels didn't capture every single time our Lord taught on this theme. Or where someone asked him one of these kinds of questions. And so here we are and Jesus then tells the guy, you've answered correctly. And he said, do this and you will live. In other words, that's the key to eternal life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just go and do that and you'll have everlasting life. And reality is when we turn and walk away and go, we realize, ah, I really can't pull this off. So turning to justify himself, it says, verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, then who's my neighbor? I know, how do I know who's my neighbor? You live in Dominican Republic and there's 250,000 people in a few square blocks. Who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied with this story. Now, before I start this story, uh, let me remind you that what I want to do, and we're just continuing to poke around and be challenged by this second and great commandment. We're simply going to make six observations about the second greatest commandment and how that applies to our lives and how we're to think about it. If the greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart and the second is like unto it, but it's the second greatest commandment, it's really important too. And how do I think about this? Here we go. Jesus is answering that very question with the slant of answering, who is my neighbor? But he, desiring to justify himself, said, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was down because it was a a drop in about 3,000 feet of elevation, is my understanding. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let's just stop right there. The first observation that we want to make of our six observations this morning about this second greatest commandment has to do with the way our Lord answered this man exactly the way he answered the lawyer in Matthew 22. In other words, when every time our Lord says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, he also then turns and says, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. The first observation is that every time we hear this, we recognize that the second greatest commandment is interconnected with the greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment is always interconnected with the greatest commandment. You cannot teach them separately. You cannot separate the two. Let's turn to John's epistle of 1 John. It's way at the back of your Bible, almost to the book of Revelation, and you will find 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 4, I believe we read this verse last week, but if not, it's okay. Um, 1st John chapter 4, Beginning with verse 20, just verses 20 and 21, John is illustrating this very point. The interconnectedness of the greatest commandment with the second greatest commandment. John, 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God. And I think if I said, do you love God? Probably everyone would raise their hand and say, indeed I do. I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
He's lying about his love for God if he has a problem with his brother. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's where John got his teaching. See that in verse 21? We have this commandment from him. Him is Jesus. And and the point is, you have to love God. If you love God, you must love your brother. Back to Matthew 22 and back to our notes. The second bullet point under number one is this simple logic. If you don't keep the first command, you violate the second. So if you don't keep the first, you violate the second. And if you violate the second, you can't keep the first. Did you get that? If you, viol- if you don't keep the first, you do violate the second. And if you violate the second, you can't keep the first. The point is, don't say you love God if you don't love your fellow man. Because if you love God, you will love your fellow man. Scary thought, isn't it? I mean, it's a wake-up call. This is, I got issues with people. I got issues with my husband or my wife. I kind of can't stand them. He's my neighbor. If I love God, then I have to love my neighbor. This is very difficult. Very difficult. They are interconnected. You cannot remove the two. It's very convicting. And the second lesson, as we look back, bounces off of this as we wrap our mind around that reality. Jesus now gives this word picture that's easy for us to imagine in our minds, this stony, rocky trail with big boulders, and this guy was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, thieves attack him, beat him, strip him, steal everything, leave him for dead, and along comes the priest. This is a guy from the Aaronic Line. He is appointed a priest because he was born to it. He has the right genetic code, a son of Aaron. He, only they were allowed to be priests. This is all the senior pastors. This is all of the most spiritual people. And he's on his donkey or whatever, and he comes along, and all of a sudden he turns the corner, and there's this beaten, bloody guy, and he's like, whoa. Not me, I'm far too important for that. And off he goes. He moves over to the other side of the trail. He keeps going. Along comes the assistant pastors and the interns, the Levites, the sons of Levi. And they come along, do the same thing. He comes along, he looks down, he sees this this guy in tremendous need. He moves to the other side of the trail and on he goes. The lesson that we get out of this here is this concept is that The keeping of the second commandment, the second greatest commandment to love my neighbor as myself is it is incompatible, number two, with pride, selfishness and temporal values. Pride, selfishness, and temporal values. The whole point that Jesus is trying to make is that these guys are so selfish. These guys are so blind to the needs of other people. These guys are so into themselves that they refuse to stop and help this guy who needs all of the help, right? Then he's going to die if they don't help him. But they have their personal agenda. I define temporal for you there. It's spelled there if you need to know how to spell it as well. Temporal, straight out of the dictionary, bullet point number one under two, is the idea of temporal. That is of or relating to or limited by time 
relating to earthly life or secular concerns. That is, things that are not spiritual. I mean, that's, what, that's the deal. The priest goes by, the Levite goes by. The idea is, I have places to be. That's my agenda. That's the here and now, right? That's the short vision. I don't have time to stop. Furthermore, I have my religious priestly robe on and there's no way I can get it contaminated with blood off this guy. And I just and so pride and arrogance and selfishness and personal agenda and the here and now and the demand of the hour and not wanting to adjust himself. And clearly what we're supposed to get out of this, bullet point number two, is that their lack of compassion clearly indicates a self-directed value system. Jesus is telling this story. He's setting up a contrast. And these two guys are, are clearly to be defined as people who are self-directed, not others-directed. Whatever it is that is about them that you need to know, all you need to know is that they're all about their own personal self and agenda. They don't care about other people. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to contrast. This is a, this is a common issue. And, and take quickly flip back to Matthew 19 in your Bible to another familiar story where a very similar question was asked. And Jesus answered it similarly. And, and notice, Matthew chapter 19, this is the story that we call of the rich young ruler. So this guy comes running up to Jesus, Matthew 19, it starts with verse 16. We're not going to read it all. The guy comes to Jesus and he asks, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? There it is, that question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, which ones? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. And the young man says, great, I've done all this since I was a youth. And Jesus says, great, then go and take all your stuff, sell it, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. And the man walked away sad and turned away from Jesus because he had what? He had great riches. He said, what has Jesus proven to him? The whole point here is, he said, you've got to love your neighbor. Listen, keep the commands. Do not commit adultery. You cannot sleep with your neighbor's wife if you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you cannot steal his chainsaw out of his shed without him knowing it if you love him as yourself. So all of the commandments fall under these categories of loving God and loving my neighbor. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, and that is you have kept the commandments out of your own strength, which is impossible, then go sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, because that's the same as you having it if you love your neighbor as yourself. It would be like giving it to yourself. And you love it if somebody sells all they have and give it to you. There you go. And he walks away sad. The point here is that the man was self-directed back to our outline, back to Luke 10. He was so in love with his stuff. No, no, Jesus, you don't understand. That is my stuff. Hey, my neighbor says mine. You see, it's my agenda, it's my life, and it's also entrapped in the temporal, the here and now. You can't take that stuff with you. It is incompatible with pride, selfishness, and temporal values. By the way, in case I forget to say it again, don't miss the point that Jesus is repeatedly pushing. 
is that you cannot keep these commandments by yourself. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself unless God changes your heart and does it for you. And you cannot keep the commandments. You will violate them. But God sent Jesus who kept the commandments for us. And that's what the cross is all about. He went to the cross, took our sins there, covered them with his blood, wiped them away, and gives us the credibility of his own righteousness as though we are the ones who kept all the commandments. He did it for us, gave it to us, and we accept that as a free gift of salvation by faith. That's what you're accepting. You're accepting perfection. You're accepting the completion of the law. You're accepting never violating any of God's principles in Christ and getting that credited to your account. That's being justified by faith. Being credited in God's eyes as though you had never sinned ever in your whole life the way Jesus had. So I dump my garbage on Jesus and I take his righteousness. That's what it means to be born again, to become a new creation in Christ. And the only place that can take place is at the cross, where Jesus took our sin as though he did it, paid the penalty for it, and made himself available for us to come in humility and, and receive by grace through faith his free gift of salvation, his righteousness that qualifies us to stand in the presence of a holy God and live forever in heaven. That's a pretty great deal. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, it's free. He loved you so much, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish now. That's it, don't miss that part of it. Thirdly, springing out of this, the third observation that we're gonna get now out of this second commandment is that it must be seen as an investment in eternity. You see, part of the problem, and Jesus is illustrating this both in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler that we just bounced into, the the, uh, priest, the Levite, they were so caught up in the here and now. They were so into what they were doing today that they lost sight of the future of all of eternity and investing in eternity and laying up treasure in heaven. And the only way you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself is if you're not living for yourself and you're not living for today. Because if you're living for, your, for today, your neighbor will drive you nuts because you're trying to sit down and have a barbecue with your family and enjoy it and your neighbor's lawnmower won't start and you've got to go help him start his lawnmower. And he's driving me out of my ever-loving mind. So he just messed up my right now. And so you got to be able to translate that into, okay, Lord, this is some kind of divine interruption here. This is uh, according to your sovereign plan. And if my heart attitude is right, then I can lay up treasure in heaven. That's a remarkable thought, by the way, that I can lay up treasure in heaven. And I'm thinking about the things that are invisible. I'm not thinking about today. I'm not thinking about chicken. I'm not thinking about how hungry I am. That's what you got to give up to love your neighbor sometimes. You've got to have a perspective on eternity. Matthew 6.19 is where we find this. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 6.19. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, moths can eat it, cannot eat it, can't rust, You know, I have to tell you, I really don't know what it means to lay up treasure in heaven completely. Like, I don't know, what is that going to be? You know, is it going to be like a new Corvette waiting for me? What's it going to be? Is it going to be like its new deer rifle? That would be good. Then you can at least look at it. We won't kill deer in heaven, I guess. No death, no dying. I really don't know exactly what that translates into, but I will tell you this. It's really, really, really good. 
And it is something we are able to do by faith, by living for God uh, as we obey his scripture and we carry out his will as we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We lay up treasure in heaven with the right heart attitude there in humility. Let's review our points. This keeping of the second commandment is completely interconnected with the greatest commandment. You can't separate the two. It is incompatible with my pride, my selfishness, and my here and now temporal values. It must be seen, this keeping of the second commandment, must be seen as an investment in eternity. I want you also to understand, number four, that this second commandment is intrinsically identified with basic Christianity. Intrinsic means that it is embedded in, it is part of the DNA. You can't separate the two. It is intrinsic to, it is part of. So the point is that as you read your New Testament, by the way, on there I wrote Colossians, beginning with chapter 4, verse 17, through chapter 6, verse 9. Not that many chapters in Colossians, I meant Ephesians. I had listed others and I didn't get it changed over. That's your homework assignment to read Ephesians chapter 4 through Ephesians chapter 6 and you notice all of the instruction of the practical Christian life. What does the Christian life look like? And, and make a list and I'll bet you'll come up with 10 or 12 things that have to do with the second greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. It'll be things like forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, I don't want to forgive him. He's, he's uh, a bunch of kids in here. He's an idiot. That's a bad word. Don't say it. I don't want to, you know. Eh. Well, the second greatest commandment and the basics of the Christian life are completely intrinsic to one another. This whole thing of bearing one another's burdens of building one another up, of esteeming others higher than myself, of forgiving with a grace of forgiveness. In the early service, Emma Tucker was sitting back here. Jonathan, my son, um, goes to Appalachian Bible College in the wintertime, September through May, and he has a little church down there that he goes to called Piney View Bible Church. And last winter, he's working with his little youth group of about four teenagers. And he loves it, and he, he calls me up and he says, Dad, we've got to do a teen week for this church, like we do. And so I said, sure, do it. So he starts in, and when he starts in, he starts in. And it was all him, and he put it all together. He got that whole church, that church of about 80 people, he got them fired up. He got Pastor Mark to load up 13 of his senior high teens and run them down there. He got Janet and I signed up to be team leaders. I talked them back to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night of this week. And they had teen week at Piney View Bible Church for the first time. And that youth group of four kids, they had 19 teens show up. And 13 of our teens, so we had almost 30 kids there and about a dozen or 15 adults. And they just were beside themselves. And it went great. And we're ending this relay race that we did in the... We had, it rained hard, you know. And so we're in this little gym that they have. And, and we did this relay game because the evening consists of games and food and then preaching and singing memory verses and the last event of the relay race was to tape duct tape one of your teammates to the wall <laughs> and they stand on a chair and you duct tape them to the wall and then you pull the chair out and you gotta whichever team's guy stays on the wall the longest wins the relay <laughs> 
Well, before we pulled the chairs out, before we pulled the chairs out, we got together, Janet and I are team leaders, and all, we all got in front of our guy, and we squatted down, and we got a picture. Well, we also had a flag that we made about our team, um, and, and it had a flagpole, and we had this one kid on our team, that ah, he was bugging me a little bit. He wasn't from our church. I think there's a reason I'm not a youth pastor anymore. So we're all squatted down, and all of a sudden, somebody just clocks me right upside the head with a broom handle. And I'm like, and I came up out of there and I was hot. I went zero to 10. Ooh, I thought it was this kid. The kid was right here behind me. And I thought he, I thought he just thought it'd be fun to hit me on the side of the head. And I came up out of there and I was ready to take him apart. And, and Emma Tucker's face is like this far from me. And, and she's almost in tears. She says, I'm sorry, Pastor Van. I'm sorry. She was holding the flagpole and accidentally moved it and just clocked me upside the head. And I felt so badly. I've kind of worried about it. And I apologize to Emma here this morning again. I just came up mean and Emma never saw her pastor like that before and uh, I I was ready to get this kid bad and uh, it was sweet sweet Emma Tucker and I said Emma uh, as we walked away she almost had she almost started crying because of my countenance and I felt so badly and I said Emma will you please forgive me I'm sorry she forgave me and she did it again today, I think. I, I choose to believe that she did. <laughs> see, see, you want your neighbor to forgive you, right? So you have to... See, that's what I'm talking about, this intrinsic connection and the idea of the basics of the Christian life. This idea of forgiving one another is a basic of the Christian life. And loving my neighbor as myself and forgiving my neighbor are completely tied together. Well, we're not going to turn to Romans 13. If I said it, turn back to number five. The fifth observation that we make in Luke chapter 10 is it is inconvenient with daily life and schedule. The keeping of the second commandment is completely inconvenient with my daily schedule. Don't we see that? These other guys would not stop because they were on a journey. Then in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he's on a trip, he's traveling, he has to stop, and it totally completely adjusts his agenda. Personally, I hate that. And it was illustrated for Janet and me yesterday. We left Appalachian Bible College at about 8 o'clock in the morning. We were driving on I-64. We came through Covington. And there is a long mountain before you come over the top to come down into Lexington on I-64. And it's maybe, I don't know if it's a 10-mile long upgrade. It's at least 5 miles upgrade. And it started to rain hard. That highway's not busy. It wasn't very busy. I had slowed down, you know, from 70 couple. You drive 70 couple? I drive. It's the speed limit, isn't it? 70 couple's the speed limit. And, and I slowed down to about 60. And it was pouring down rain. And all of a sudden, a little Honda CRV just went flying by me. And I thought to myself, that guy better watch it. And, and they got about 100 yards in front of me and just went into a hydroplane. And at 70 miles an hour, was spinning down the highway. And, and we're going up, but they were flying. And it was pouring rain. And they slammed into the metal guardrail towards the other lane and bounced up. And they went sideways, like on two wheels, and skidded on two wheels. And I thought they were going to roll. And I was like, oh, and, and they were on two wheels all the way across the lanes and right at the last minute came down on all four and then plunged over the embankment. It's as high as the ceiling down into boulders and pine trees. And I pulled over. But you see, I didn't have time to pull over. 
Janet's cousin was in from New York City, up here at Frederick. And she was only in for a couple hours, and this is a kidney transplant cousin and everything, and we had to get up there and see her. And we drove from Beckley straight to Frederick on Saturday afternoon when I got to preach, and I don't want to do it. And it's pouring down rain, and I pull over, and I run down the embankment. Nobody was hurt, thankfully. Very shaken up, totally totaled the vehicle. And we sat there in the rain for an hour with these dear people. I'm not a hero. I'm just illustrating to you that if you're going to love your neighbor, you're going to get your schedule interrupted all the time. And you immediately, and I'm telling you in my brain, I thought to myself, we immediately, as I was jumping out and running down and got my nice khaki shorts all muddy and had my brand new Merrells on and got them muddy. Come on, people. It's like you cannot do this if you don't have the long view, right? You're with me? And your schedule. And I thought, well, Sarah, we might not see Sarah today, but God divinely appointed us here right now. Let's be all here. And that's the mindset we have to have. You would have done the same thing, I know. Let me fill in the rest of your blanks. This number six, I think, builds well out of this passage. This second commandment is one of the greatest incentives for personal evangelism as well. The second commandment, the second greatest command, it drives us. It drives us to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, Jesus said. What did he command? He commanded us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourselves. teaching them to do that. This love for neighbor, that's why it's going to happen. You love your neighbor as yourself, so therefore you keep the second great commandment. You're driven by that. Otherwise, why would you take your family to some godforsaken place that ought to be used for nuclear testing and live there and try to reach people for Christ? Because your neighbor lives there. Why do you take your family into Dominican Republic, into a trashy, dirty part of the city and plant a church? Because those are your neighbors. It's your neighbor. The love of Christ compels us. What can you do for your neighbor that is more valuable than to give them the keys to everlasting life in Christ? The greatest gift. It's hard. Try to reach my neighbors. Pray. Be a good testimony. Don't get mad at them when they back over your trash cans. And I know that all of this takes wisdom. Sometimes the interruptions of the schedule. Sometimes you have to say, hey, let's do coffee tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock instead of talk right now. You've got to always use, these, use wisdom principles. May, the, may our love for God be evidenced daily by our love for our neighbor. 1 John three sixteen through 18. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, the ESV says, but in deed and in truth. It's an easy game to talk, isn't it? Let's let's live it out. Live it out. So when they don't return, you know, your snow shovel or something, don't worry, you don't need it in eternity. It's a here and now thing. Let it go. Love your neighbor. Show them Christ. 
The second greatest commandment. There it is. Now go and live it, right? Let's stand and pray. Lord bless you with a great week. So Father, we're humbled by the word again. The words of Christ cut us like a knife. They show us who we are. Showing us all of our flaws and our blemishes like that mirror. Telling us the truth of what we really look like. And so Father, would you continue to change us? Would you continue to break our hearts for our neighbors? Would you continue to break the selfish grip of arrogance and pride that all of us live with? That our personal agendas would not be nearly so important. And that eternity and Christ and the gospel would drive us. That we would keep the second greatest commandment and in so doing prove that we're keeping the first commandment. Give us the power through your Holy Spirit that you've given us at salvation to do what we cannot do in ourselves. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We commit our week to you, our day to you, our day camp to you, Eric and Holly in the Dominican Republic to you, the boys and girls that were at that teen week, we commit them to you. Thank you for how you're using Fellowship Bible Church. Continue to do so as we love our neighbors. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.